Well, welcome everybody. Before we begin our exciting new summer series, I would like to invite you just by your head and let's have a little time of prayer as we focus on our communities, our state, and our nation in these difficult days. Father God, we come before you and we acknowledge that right now, all of us have a sense of stress in our lives over recent events, from the virus, Lord, to this horrible tragedy, the death of George Floyd, and so many unnamed people, Lord, around our world. Father, we confess to you that what is wrong with our world is sin, and sin manifests itself in so many ugly and different ways. And recently, God, we have been reminded of how sin manifests itself when we Lord, do not respect the God-given dignity that you've given to each of us. Lord, we ask you to forgive us in areas of our lives where we may have contributed to seeing someone who is different than us, Lord, whether it is in color of skin or economic background or language or whatever it might be. We ask you, Father, to forgive us. And for out there, forgive us for those times when we could do more and fail to do so. Lord, as we strive to learn to listen and to understand each other, I pray that you would give us the grace to be Christ on this earth, to bring justice into every situation, Lord, whether it's the plight of women and children around the world, or whether, Father, it is the ugly issue of a racialized society, or, Lord, whether it is the situation of the unborn or the elderly, Whatever it is, O oh God, I pray, help us to practice grace. Help us, Lord, to practice forgiveness. And help us, Lord, to be healers for you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, welcome to our summer series. And the tagline is Facing a Future Without Fear. I don't know about you, but when I just say those words, it just feels like wishful thinking, especially nowadays, doesn't it? Let me ask you a question. What are you scared about in reference to the future? What are you scared or anxious about right now? Maybe you're worried about getting the COVID virus. Or perhaps you're concerned and fearful about the rise in violence and looting. Or maybe you're concerned and worried that the whole issue of injustice will be quickly swept under the rug and will go back to the way things were until there's another eruption. Perhaps you're feeling lonely. Perhaps you're concerned of your finances or your loved ones. All of us feel it in unrest and uneasiness, not just about the future, but also about now. There's a scene in the movie, The Return of the King, based on the Jared Tolkien trilogy, Lord of the Rings. And in that particular scene, Pippin, one of the hobbits, is with Gandalf, this very wise wizard. And they're trying to help defend a city. And poor Pippin, he's just got to the city. He doesn't even know anybody there. And he longs for home. And he longs for family. And he longs for friends. And all of a sudden, it's like darkness overshadows him, and he becomes gripped with his own mortality. And he looks at Gandalf, and he says, I didn't think it would end this way. I want you to listen to Gandalf's response, and I want you to also watch his eyes. 
I didn't think it would end this way. End? No, the journey doesn't end here. Death is just another path. One that we all must take. The grey rain curtain of this world rolls back and all turns to silver glass. And then you see it. What? And Alpha? See what? White shores. And beyond. Far green country into a swift sunrise. Oh. That isn't so bad. No. No, it isn't. The journey does not end here. I love those words of Gandalf. Now the question is. When he says that, is that just fantasy? I mean, we're talking about a movie, right? Or is Tolkien, who was a believer, using the character of Gandalf to remind us of a very powerful truth? The journey does not end here. Death is not final. You know, a lot of us don't take much time to think about death, and I can understand that, or the future beyond death. I mean, when everything's going well in your life, when you got money in the bank, when you're healthy, when you got plenty of friends and family around you, when everybody's kind of coexisting peacefully and in a unified way, when your plans are going well, <laughs> I don't know about you, but uh, I don't think about death. I don't want to think about death. I want to think about life. I want to think about what's going on now and kind of enjoying what's, what's happening here in the moment. Then something happens, right? Then life turns on us, and someone we love is gone, or something we care and cherish very much is being threatened. Then we get anxious. Then we get nervous. Then we wonder, what is this short life of mine all about, and what does the future hold, if the future holds anything at all? It scares us. Lisa scares me. I don't know how it makes you feel when you go through a time like that. Well, welcome to our series. It is called Tomorrowland, Facing a Future Without Fear. This series is based on two little letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to believers in a place called Thessaloniki, Greece. If you want the backstory, just go to Acts chapter 17. You'll find out how Paul and his companions got there and began preaching the gospel. Well, the good news is that people gave their hearts to Christ. But very quickly, persecution broke out, and Paul and his companions had to flee and get away. Paul was worried sick about those brand new believers. Would the church survive? Eventually, he couldn't take any more. He sent Timothy to go find out how the church was doing. When Timothy came back in chapter 3, Paul discovers that, oh my goodness, the church has not only survived, it is thriving. Their faith is growing, and their witness is, is known outside of the city of Thessaloniki. But there are some problems, and there are some very serious questions. 
And some of those questions have to do with what happens to my loved one who dies before Jesus comes? What, what happens after death? And Paul begins to answer those questions. So listen to him in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. As we think about these words of the Apostle Paul, I want us to explore together a pretty important idea. The idea goes like this. How you view the future is determined or determines how you look at and behave in your current circumstances. Now think about that for a minute. How you view the future determines how you look at and how you behave in your current circumstances. Or I guess another way of putting it would be like this. Your character and your conduct are determined by how your future, your view of the future, informs your life. While I was uh, preparing this message, I was thinking about what's happening around us, and in particular, this, this whole issue of our racialized society. And I was thinking about that. My mind was taken to those black spirituals that were formed and forged in those days, those awful days of slavery, when human beings, just like all of us, for for God, there's one race. It is the human race. When they were being denied their identity, when they were being denied the fact that they were created in the image of God. It was oppressive. It was hard. It was difficult. And people suffered and people died. What hope did they have? Well, those spirituals were created with this sense that there's a life to come. There's a grander, a better land in the future. That we have a Savior who has suffered a Savior who has been denied his God-given rights, a Savior who was crucified. And so these songs, these spirituals, as they're called, carried with it this, this sense that we can keep on keeping on because we know there's a better day coming. There's a future that's ahead of us. You know something? I don't think, I don't think you can have a vision for the future. I don't think you can have a plan for a better day if you don't believe that there's life beyond death, that there's a greater land that we're going to. If you can't believe that, 
If you think that this is it, then we really are stuck with the Darwinian mindset, which then means why try to reform anything? It is truly every man, every boy, every girl, every woman for him or herself. That's why it is so important to be able to picture the future, to know that there's hope in the present. Remember I told you to watch Gandalf's eyes? When he's telling Pippin about this future, I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but it's as though Gandalf has already been there. It's like he's been there, has seen that, and he's telling, he's telling Pippin, I know what I'm talking about. The journey does not end here. I've been to that land. And that's where we're all going to end up. So when the Apostle Paul writes these words, he's writing to tell the people when it comes to this whole issue of death and what happens, I've got good news for you. I don't have an opinion for you. This isn't what I want to tell you. He actually, he makes a point. He says, I want you to know this comes from the Lord. He says right here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15, we tell you this directly from the Lord. So here's what God has to say to you about these things. And he says, I've got good news about the life afterwards. The first thing he tells us is this. He says, I've got good news. Listen, death leads to life. Death leads to life. And that is really great news to hear about. That death is not final. It's not like the steel door that just shut and then everything is finished and everything is done. Listen to what he says. Let's look at the passage again. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. So you will not, look what he says, so you'll not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. And why don't you hang on to that word grieve for a moment? Because what Paul is not saying is, hey, Christians, don't grieve. You can't grieve. No, no, no. What he's saying is don't grieve like the unbelievers, like those who have no hope. Well, how do unbelievers grieve? Well, I can think of three ways that we've seen throughout history and to this very day. People who don't have the hope of Christ, you know, sometimes the way they deal with death and the future is with a sense of stoicism. That is, you know, this is just the way it goes. And you have, to, you have to kind of suck it up and accept it, stiff upper lip like a soldier, and, and move on and power through it. Maybe you know some people like that. Other people respond by being absolutely hysterical. When death comes near, when it touches somebody they love or know or threatens their own, their own life, I mean, they, they, they rant, they rave, they cry, they're obsessed, they're consumed, they become bitter, they become angry, and it becomes their whole life. And then there are those who look at it as almost environmental. What I mean by that is their mindset is, hey, I'm part of the cycle of life. You're born, you live, you die, you're a biological animal, and then, and then your body just kind of returns to the earth and gives energy to other kinds of life, and hence the popularity of mushroom suits. 
where people are being buried in these outfits that are created that have mushroom spores in them and they're placed in special kinds of uh, material and buried in the ground so everything's biodegradable and their bodies literally become like a living compost giving birth to the mushrooms and vegetation and, you know, other kinds of things, I guess, feeding the worms, etc. Now, I don't know about you, but I hear all that, and that does not give me a whole lot of hope. But as Christians, listen carefully, we can grieve hopefully. See, what do you mean by that? Well, first of all, we can grieve. I mean, just look at, look at Job, for instance. Job, death really ransacked his, his family. Took his, took his kids, took everybody. And he got upset, and he wailed, and he cried, and he got angry with God. But he says, and he did not sin. Well, I think about Jesus. Jesus had a friend, his name was Lazarus, and Lazarus died. And when Jesus shows up, Lazarus' sisters remind Jesus that if he had come sooner while Lazarus was alive, then Lazarus would not have died. Now watch what it says. In John chapter 11, verse 33, it says, When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, referring to Mary, a deep anger, a deep anger welled up in him, and he was deeply troubled as he goes to the tomb where Lazarus is. Now Jesus knows that he's going to pray and ask the Father to raise Lazarus up from the dead. So why is he so angry? Is he angry at the sisters? Is he angry at the people? Has he had a bad day and he's really grumpy? No. What he's angry at is death. Because death is not part of the plan. It never was. Death is an intruder into what God had established in the Garden of Eden. God's plan for humankind. Sin and death didn't belong there. And so there's a sense in which Jesus is angry at death. He hates death. I remember after my mom passed away. And I left my dad. My dad's in the yard, and he gives me a faint wave goodbye. As I drove my car down the lonely, long lane up to their house, I just began to weep. And I remember saying over and over again, I hate death. I hate death. I hate what death does to people. I hate what death does to this world. I hate sin that causes death. There's nothing wrong with hating that, but watch. Grieve, hopefully. In our grief over the death of the people we love, over the death of people who are treated unjustly, the just death period, we've got to mix in hope. And the hope we mix in is to know that death is not final. Look at number two. The good news about the future is that death leads to life, that Jesus has made a path for us through Death Valley. Jesus has made a path for you and me to the valley, the shadow of death. Notice what it said a few minutes ago in one of the passages we looked at, verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again. Paul's reminding them, listen, we believe that Jesus died, but he also rose from the dead. You know, in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 20, we learn that Jesus is our forerunner that he's actually gone ahead on the journey for us. He's a trailblazer. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. 
And in that same passage of John chapter 14, he not only says that he's the way, the truth, the life, but he says, listen, I'm going away from you to prepare a place for you, and then I'm coming back for you. Now, I don't know if that means that Jesus has a carpenter's belt on, and he's got a whole crew up there, and they're building and hammering and sawing and making, you know, whatever our dwelling places are going to be. I don't think that's what it means. I think what it means is that Jesus has prepared a place for us by taking on our death himself, by dying our death and then conquering death by rising from the dead. And now he's given us a rite of passage into the Father's presence. So I was thinking about this, like, God, how can I, how can I make this more practical? And, and, and an image came to my mind. The image is of a father who has his son or daughter's hand. They're holding hands. The father is so much taller, so much bigger, so much stronger. But the child is walking along on their own power and their own strength and suddenly come to this great big mud puddle. And what the father does is the father just simply picks the hand of the daughter up and she hops over the puddle back down on the ground again. All of us as believers, all of us are walking toward the ledge of death. And there's a next step we take and there's no more of this life as we know it left. But in that moment, we don't keep falling and falling and falling. In that moment, the Father's hand that's always been there through the power of the Holy Spirit just picks us up and leaps us into the heavenlies where our faith is right now. And so Jesus has paid that way. Man, that's good news. That's good news in a bad news world. It's good news when everything is turning down. God says, there's hope. There's hope. That's good news for you if you're suffering with a terminal disease. It's good news for you if you lost someone that you love who loved Jesus. You had that assurance that they have stepped into the very presence of God himself. Let's look at a third piece of good news about the future. Death leads to life. Jesus has made a path for us through Death Valley. Listen. The future, it's better than you can imagine. And God gave you and me imagination so we could try to imagine what the future must be like. And T. Wright, one of my favorite theologians, asked the question, he says, how do you explain color to somebody who's been blind from birth? How do you explain the color blue to someone who's never, ever seen blue? I suppose you could say, here, feel this. It's soft. That's what blue is like. Blue is soft. Here, feel this. It's, it's hot, isn't it? Well, red is kind of hot. Or, or feel this. Does it, does it kind of tingle? Well, that, that's what yellow is like. Now, I mean, that, I guess that helps a little bit, but until you actually see the color, you cannot really know what it's like. So if you haven't figured it out, over the next few weekends, in these two little letters, Paul does deal with the future. He does deal with the second coming of Christ. And uh, I just want to acknowledge the fact that, you know, there are some things, a few things we can know with certainty. We can see, yep, that's blue, that's red, that's yellow, the colors are bright and clear. There are other things that are kind of more murky. We think we know what it means, we think we understand it, and there's just some stuff we don't know at all. And so some of the things that I might share with you, you might go, I've never heard that before. Or you might say, oh, I've heard that before and disagree with it. You may have your timeline down, you may have it all worked out. God bless you for that. We may have to choose to agree to disagree on some things. 
What I don't want us to do, though, is get lost in the details. You know, a lot of people avoid talking about prophecy and talking about the future because people get so, so caught up in their views of it. And we miss out on why God put it there in the first place, to give us hope in times like this. So rather than allowing ourselves to kind of create a mental argument, let's just see what, what the Scriptures say, and let's take what we can know and things that might be a little confusing, hey, you know, we'll either just say it'll get clearer later, or you know what? We'll just choose to agree to disagree. Does that make sense? All right, so then let's look at these next set of verses. Here's what it says. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout. And the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. Now, you know we got to sketch this out, right? So if you want to sketch with me, go ahead and do that. Let me set my board up here for just a moment. And uh, let's just start. Let's just start with a person, all right? Doesn't have to be you or me, but a person, all right? So this is a human being here kind of on earth making their way along, okay? And at some point, we know that unless Christ returns or like Elijah whisks us off, you know, or Enoch from this earth and takes us up, wouldn't that be a nice way to go? Most of us are all going to face death, all right? We are all going to die and that'll be the end of this physical life. So when the Bible says that we have fallen asleep or we will fall asleep, it's a euphemism. It, it stands for this idea of death. Because remember, for God, for the Scriptures, for what the Bible teaches us, death is not the end, all right? Now, if my body dies, the question becomes, is that, is that it? Is that it for me? Is that all of me? No, the Bible makes it very, very clear that our spirit, those of us who die in Christ, this will represent our spirit, goes to what we think of as heaven. Now, when we say heaven, what I'm referring here is what Randy Alcorn calls present heaven or an intermediary state. That's where we go when we die. That's where your loved one in Christ went when they died, into this angelic realm in God's presence. Now, of course, there's all kinds of questions that go with that. And this is where it gets hard to say, here's what blue looks like or what red is like, what yellow is like. We can try to understand it, but we don't have necessarily the clearest picture. So people ask sometimes, you know, is that person, Dale, is your mom or others, you know, are they, are they conscious in that place? And I believe that they are conscious in that place. Let me draw your attention to a couple of uh, uh, passages of Scripture, and then we'll come back and redraw this again, that are very fascinating. One is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7. It says, For when the dust will return to the earth, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Let's look at another passage of Scripture. Luke 12, 43. And Jesus replied, remember on the cross, to the, uh, the other thief, he said, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. 
You're going to be someplace with me. I'm going to take you by the hand. Remember that little metaphor I gave you? And we're going to move into an intermediate state called paradise or present heaven. Look at another passage of Scripture here. 2 Corinthians 5, 8. It says, Yes, we are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for when we will be, for then we will be at home with the Lord. He says, you know, to be absent of the bodies, to be present with the Lord. That's what we long for. That's what we ache for. We want to be with him. I don't think in an unconscious way either, but in a very conscious way. Well, let's look at one more passage of Scripture here. Philippians 1.23, Paul says, personally, he says, I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sake, he goes on, he says, I'm going to stay here till the Lord calls me home. But you have this ache in Paul's life. I want to be with the Lord. And at some point in Paul's life, he'd had visions of the heavenly places that he couldn't even talk about. But there's this desire to be in that place with the Lord. So what I'm trying to say to you is, when your loved one dies, or when you die, if it's before Jesus comes, the body falls asleep. That is, the body is, is dead itself. Remember, it's going to be remade. But your spirit, who you are, that which inhabits this body, goes to be in this special heavenly realm, which begs the question. And the question that it begs is, how, how is that all eventually going to change? In other words, how am I going to get my, my, my new body? And by the way, that begs another question, which I didn't cover. It just came to my mind is, some people ask me, well, if my loved one's conscious, do they, do they know what's going on here on earth? My answer to that question is, why not? Why not? See, the end of tears of suffering and sorrow is at the end of the age. The end of the age hasn't come yet. I don't think they know everything like Jesus knows everything about you and me and what's going on. But why could they have a sense of what is taking place in their, in their prayers, in their, in their worship of God, in their calling God to, to redeem all of creation? Again, what does blue look like? Not real clear on that, but there is that possibility. Now let's talk about the transformation that's about to happen. I want to take you to another passage of Scripture here. I want you to see what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul says, let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It'll happen in a moment, in a blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into an immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? All right, let's go back and draw here. So again, here's us on earth some point we die and we are buried, all right? Our spirit goes to this, what we are going to call intermediary or uh, present heaven, all right? Or Jesus called it paradise. At some point in time, the Bible tells us that Christ is going to return. And when he returns, all those who have gone with him who may be in a spiritual form or may have a temporary bodily form. We don't know what does blue look like again, all right? 
will return with Christ. And Paul's saying, listen carefully, he says, those who have died, if you're alive when Christ comes, he says, their bodies will be brought up or brought together from wherever and there will be a brand new body given to you, all right? A body like Jesus in resurrected form. Now understand, when the Bible tells us that the Lord is going to come down, oftentimes we think of heaven as someplace up there, earth down here. But in Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, it refers to the second coming of Christ using a term called, and when he appears. And T. Wright and others that I agree with them believe that this, this place called this present earth or this intermediary state is simply another dimension. That's why I'm so fascinated by quantum physics. It's not because I'm smart. But quantum physics tells us that there are theories out there that leading scientists ascribe to that believe that our universe is very multidimensional. And that these physical bodies keep us from being able to enter those dimensions. But when we get our resurrected body, if it's like the body of Jesus, he passed through walls in his resurrected body. There will be that capacity to move through dimensions, perhaps. It's called string theory. Maybe you know about that. I just think sometimes God leaves evidence all over the place to kind of give us a hint of what blue might be like. To give us a sense of what is awaiting us. The imagination can't even capture it. And God gave us an imagination to dream about this future that's beyond our comprehension. So out of that dimension, so to speak, Christ will step and, and our loved ones will step out with him. They'll be given new bodies. And those of us who are on earth at that time, we also then will be transformed. Our bodies will be transformed. And together, uh-oh, what happens to us? Well, here's an issue of debate. We're going to have to probably agree to disagree on it. Some people believe that we'll be caught up and for a period of time, we're all going to be here in this intermediary state during what's known as the seven-year tribulational period. And while we're kind of all up there, I guess we're in our resurrected bodies, and the question is, what are we doing? And some people have answers for that. But I, I've changed my view over time as I've looked at the language and studied it more intensely. See, the word that we saw in Thessalonians, caught up, is a word that was used when, for instance, an emperor would come to a Roman colony. The, the, the citizens would go out to meet the emperor and escort him back into the city. If I look at my understanding of scriptures from Matthew 24 and Daniel 7 through 12 and Revelation and here in Thessalonians and other passages of scripture— what I think happens is that Christ comes toward the end of the tribulational period or right before the end of it. And we are all transformed and brought back down together again. And here's what's so beautiful. When we come back with Christ, something pretty neat happens here, okay? If you think about the earth, the earth will be remade. And it says that the new heaven comes to the earth. Remember Jesus prayed, not my kingdom, but or not my will, but thy will be done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I get it right eventually. On earth as it is in heaven. Well, if you go back to the book of Genesis, there was an overlap of God's realm with the earthly realm, and it was called Eden. It was where God was most present with his creation. It's where heaven touched God's earth. Well, when sin came along, all of that was broken. And what you end up with is this earth and its corruption. But when the Lord returns, he's going to remake the earth, the scripture tells us. 
And in remaking and renewing the earth, what happens is God's kingdom comes, the new heaven comes, and what you in essence have is what God intended in the first place. You have Eden all over again. Read the book of Revelation. There's so much imagery of Eden, the river, the plants. And here's where we rule and we reign with Christ throughout eternity. Now, I just want you for a moment to just close your eyes. I want you to listen to part of Revelation chapter 21 as it is read for you. Listen. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne. Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Isn't that beautiful? No more tears, no more sorrow, no more suffering. It's what we have to look forward to. And of course, some people, you know, they hear that and they go, well, if that's the case, you know, just, just forget about this world. I'm just going to kind of hibernate and wait. No, you can't do that. You can't do that. You see, in this day that we live in now, in all this turmoil, turmoil that we're in, we, the church, we have to be a taste of the future. We have to be an example of what is to come. It starts with justice, and it starts with unity, and it starts with loving one another. It starts with reaching out to each other. This message is so relevant for where we are on this day. Rather than pointing fingers or deflecting things away from us, let's just be honest with God. Let's ask God to renew us, to remake us, to be the church he wants us to be. We're all men, all women, all children. No matter what their ethnicity is seen as all part of one race, the human race. All created in the image of God, and we are healers and we are restorers. And everybody, from the unborn to the elderly, from the rich to the middle class to the poor, all deserve justice, all deserve love, and all deserve grace. Let's pray together. Father God, Help us to not only find our hope, our confidence, and our security in what is waiting for us. The journey doesn't end here. Thank you, God. Father, help us also to realize that we can live out this hope here and now. We can give people a taste of what is to come. 
Use us that way, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, a couple things. One of the exciting things that's happening is we're looking at starting micro churches. Talk about a little taste of heaven in people's neighborhoods. If you'd like to know more information about that, you can just follow this website and, uh, and join us as we have another uh, opportunity coming up this, this week on the 9th to hear more about how you or a group of you could begin a micro church for Whitdale. So check it out. Secondly, big announcement. Told you it was coming. When are we going to begin regathering? The answer to the question is, we're targeting July the 12th, the weekend of July the 12th. Now you probably have all kinds of questions and we're going to get you the details pretty soon, beginning sometime next weekend. So you can get prepared for it if you feel comfortable and safe coming back. Say, why are you waiting so long? We're hoping that by July 12th, uh, our governor will relax things even more, make it easier for us to all come back. So I'm looking forward to that. In the meantime, it's going to be a great series. We have another talk next weekend about the future. Hope you join me. In the meantime, listen to some good news from Kyle and Justin. Thanks.